0: And the title of my message today, it's actually not my message, I actually guested on Innocence Redeemed with Ray Bergman, and uh, we did a podcast together called Humble Thyself. I hope you enjoy the show. It's got three or four prophetic messages for unknown listeners. Here's the show.
1: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's show is Humble Thyself. I have with me my good friend and sister in Christ, Glenda Lomax. Today we're going to present a discussion of not only recent developments, but what the Lord is desiring from his people right now. A humbling. A plead of repentance and a call to do right. And this episode also includes prophetic messages for three unknown listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. We got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Glenda.
0: Thank you, Ray. I'm very glad to be here. You know, you and I have had conversations this week about how quickly things seem to be progressing and how a lot of people still are not seeing what's coming or don't, maybe don't want to see what's coming. And it made me think of this sermon illustration I saw about Pompeii. I'm going to read that real quick. This one preacher said he and his wife visited the ruins of Pompeii outside of what is now Naples. The Roman city of Pompeii was destroyed in AD 79. The explosion of Mount Vesuvius was so sudden the residents were killed while going about their routines. Men and women in the marketplace, the rich in their luxurious baths, and slaves toiling away for their masters. They died breathing in volcanic ash and superheated gases. Family pets suffered the same fate. It takes very little imagination to picture how panicked they must have felt on that terrible day. The saddest part, though, and I did not know this until I read this story, is that these people did not have to die. Scientists confirm what ancient Roman writers recorded about it. There were weeks of rumblings and shakings that preceded the actual explosion. An ominous plume of smoke was visible days before the eruption, confirming that it was going to erupt. No doubt when it erupted, their last thoughts were that, hey, man, I should have looked at that and left. There are similar rumblings in our world, too, of a different kind. While not new, these warnings do point to a coming day of judgment, which the Bible confirms in Matthew chapter 24. Nobody needs to die unprepared.
1: No, and as a matter of fact, Glenda, Romans 14 comes to mind while you were mentioning that. Verse 8 says, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. And we are prepared if we are living by his ways, or at least doing our absolute best to abide in him. And that is believing him, trusting him, believing his word, not just parts of it. We're believing all of it. That includes the prophecies, loving the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And as such, we know that no matter what happens, we are not separated from him. You know, a rebellious heart is a prideful spirit, and that is far from being prepared should you die. If you're on the wrong path, you want to turn around and do so now. You know, you want to belong to the Lord no matter what happens, and that's what we're going to stress here today. You know, it's all about listening and doing, humbling oneself before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You don't want the worldly sorrow in what's about to go down. And so what is about to go down? For starters, you have the handing of U.S. sovereignty over to the WHO, just in time for new pestilences. Monkeypox, anyone? And we don't even know if that's going to be the real deal that they're going to use, but that just goes to show that that suddenly popped up uh, right around the time that this was getting done and there were meetings taking place overseas. And with that in line, then we have H.R. Quad 6, H.R. 6666. And while this bill officially died, it can be placed into other bills such as stimuluses or other emergency-related efforts in future pandemics, whether real or orchestrated. And what it essentially allows is forced tracing and detainment of those who are merely suspected of being infected with whatever disease they say is the one of the day. And that means it can be decided on a case-by-case basis for any reason whatsoever. So if they declared Christians a disease or a threat, it gives them the ability to detain and execute to contain the disease. You know, Jesus said, and you know, this is covered under the great tribulation in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 28, specifically verses 21 through 22, where Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So how is this tied in? Well, a Chinese general was recently recorded talking about invasion plans of the U.S. And as a matter of fact, Mike Adams, the health ranger, recently did an excellent interview with a gentleman named John Moore where they talked about arrangements with the governors of West Coast states. These governors have been promised some role, but they in turn will be executed as they sold their people out. And I highly advise listening to that if anyone gets the chance. Because it is about the invasion, and it will likely occur after some sort of shock and awe attack. You know, many will be stunned, and this invasion will attempt to work its way across the country, with soldiers capturing and executing many, and they'll also be eating their way across the country. And, you know, that's not including if there are any other events, such as earthquakes and volcanoes, plus the drought already taking place. Most people. I can
0: confirm they will eat their way across the country, because the Lord showed me that, too. Yeah. If that would help bring the famine.
1: And most people don't know it, but the American West is running out of water, Glenda. I,
0: I saw that. It looks bad out
1: there. You know, part of how they will get people to submit and go into captivity is to make the living conditions so bad, many will willingly surrender to do things they ordinarily wouldn't do. You know, we need to remember Jesus said, and this is quoting Matthew 16, verses 25 through 26, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? We have to be prepared to not hang on to our life, physically. You know, God's got better for us in store in the kingdom of heaven, okay? We're just passing through, remember that.
0: And that's the danger in loving your life. If you love your life here on earth, you will try to cling to it.
1: Right. And it's a known fact, time and time again, that when there is war, prisoners are taken. And that's just part of the casualty of war. You know, if you look at biblical prophecy, such as the book of Jeremiah, there are verses throughout about those who go into captivity along with the judgments. And when Daniel the...
0: was one of those. And the, he, the three Hebrews were too.
1: Yes, and when people ask why this happens, the Lord says, and this is quoting from Jeremiah 9, starting on verse 13, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts after the Baals, which their fathers taught them. And in other words, walking after the Baals and their own hearts, that's the worship of idols. In modern day society, that is holding out the hope for a political ideology, or a figure to rescue them instead of relying on Jesus as their one and only God. You know, the word is clear. In fact, it's in the Ten Commandments that we are to have no other gods or make an image of one, and that is an idol. You know, when the Lord says they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, it means they were deceived in not knowing him. They were stubborn and still refused to seek the Lord and went about their own rebellious ways. If you go on further in the book of Jeremiah, Glenda, chapter 17, verses 9 through 10, the Lord says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's part of what we're going to cover today. But another thing that is being test piloted is getting people to submit to the mark of the beast. This is also why there are artificial shortages being arranged, which is causing prices to go up continuously. It was planned this way. You know, fuel goes up, everything else goes up. Add to that the inflation. I mean, Joe Biden just came out and said himself what his handlers are doing. He said, and I quote, when it comes to the gas prices, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. That tells you right there it's planned. Part of the Great Reset and Beast agenda is to control everyone. And you know, I've mentioned Klaus Schwab before, but I'd like to play a clip of his lead advisor, and his name is Yuval Noah Harari. I think that's how you say it. And he's making mention of what their plans are. And by playing this four minute clip, there can be no debate in what is being planned.
2: We need some kind of global loyalty and global identity. But maybe the most important impact of the new technologies, is that they will change the very meaning of humanity, and they will change the basic rules of the game of life. For four billion years, that's a very long time, four billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rules of life. All of life, for this immense period, was subject to the laws of natural selection and of organic biochemistry. It doesn't matter if you were an amoeba or a dinosaur, a banana plant or a homo sapiens. You were made of organic compounds and you evolved by natural selection. This did not change. But in the coming decades, it is going to change. Science is about to replace natural selection with intelligent design as the chief motor of evolution. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Google cloud, they will be the driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, life is about to break out of the limited organic realm and start spreading into the vastness of the inorganic realm. We are about to create the first inorganic life forms after 4 billion years of evolution. And in the process, our own species, Homo sapiens, is likely to disappear Not because we will destroy ourselves but because we will change and upgrade ourselves into something very different. In a century or two, Earth will probably be dominated by entities that are far more different from us than we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Today we still share with Neanderthals and chimpanzees. Most of our bodily structures, of our physical abilities and of our mental faculties, our hands, our eyes, our brains, our social relations, our emotions, they are very similar to those of other apes and other mammals. But within a century or two, the combination of artificial intelligence and bioengineering will create completely new bodily and physical and mental traits that completely break from the hominid and mammalian mold. Consciousness itself might be disconnected from any organic structure or alternatively we might see the decoupling of intelligence from consciousness and earth will be dominated by entities that are super-intelligent, but completely non-conscious. Highly intelligent computer programs that have no minds, no feelings, no emotions. So really, humankind is about to gain divine powers of creation. We are in the process of becoming gods. And the big question that faces us in the coming decades is what to do with our new godlike powers.
1: By the way, the title of the article where I found this is titled, We Don't Need to Wait for Jesus Christ to Overcome Death. Folks, make no mistake, these are the very lies Satan is taking many to hell with along with the UFO deception that they're planning. And this is all part of how they plan to get people to deny Jesus and pledge allegiance to Lucifer. You know, they're going to send... When
0: was the last time they pulled the name of Jesus into any of this? That tells you right there what's fixing to happen. Oh, absolutely. They don't ever talk about Jesus.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to post a link to uh, that clip I just played on my blog. But for anyone denying that these are happening, well, I just played it for you. Straight from the horse's mouth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 11 says, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. How many? Let me say something
0: about that real quick. I'm sorry. When Satan does miracles, there are different kind of miracles. I just wanted to mention that. It's not the healing people and, and, and curing lepers. It's not things that help people. It's going to be a different kind of miracles than that. It's one of the ways you can tell it's him.
1: Well, Satan's a liar. Just wanted to
0: put that out there.
1: Yeah, he's a liar,
0: and he cares about the worldly things, not about people's suffering.
1: Well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to cause false images. They're going to, you know, be able to persuade fire from
0: heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that kind of yeah.
1: And so when you move on to Second Thessalonians two verse eleven, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived. And they will believe these lies. That is those who are unsaved and still looking in the worldly. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. You know, folks, they consider us dumb animals, useless eaters. And their plan is actually to kill most of us so that the few who are left are more easily controlled. But it's those who are left that bought the lie That will be right for judgment when everything left on earth is destroyed, as God said it would. But you're not in the dark about these things, because me and Glinda have been making you aware, as have many others out there. But do you see now the premise for the bill I mentioned or the provisions thereof? They can literally just say you're a disease, and this is why the Lord says if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it one way or the other, you know, the other being an eternity if you take that mark. And you know, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. They're admitting it right out in the open now, in case anybody hasn't noticed. All these things that was dismissed for years as conspiracies, they're coming out and admitting it, but then they're still calling it a conspiracy, and they're making laws toward people who talk about it. So, you know, vaccines, changing DNA, facial scans, now MasterCard saying they're in the testing phase of facial recognition. Do you remember Glenda, I sent you that article? You know, for purchases, and they are tying social credit to it. Next, it'll be the mark. It'll be the implant. Yep. This is so when the economy collapses, they'll present this quote-unquote new normal as the new way to reset the debt and forgive all the debts and say, just take this and, you know, we'll make everything go away. Oh, it'll be more convenient. But you have to live by how we tell you. You belong to us now because you took our product. And the problem here is if Christians take part in this, it will condemn their soul for an eternity. See, they arrange the crises to present the solution. The only thing they need is the perfect concoction. Revelation 13 specifically states, He causes, note the word causes, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. And you know, Glinda, you and I have discussed this before. I think we had mentioned this last year. We were talking about, um, it might have been in the White Horse Rides podcast. I can't remember, but I mentioned the Microsoft patent. I think you're right. And it was W O twenty twenty zero six zero six zero six, which just happens to be tied. Biologically to the body and a digital currency in the cloud, so important what a for,
0: coincidence?
1: What a coincidence, yeah. So, I mean, it's important for everyone to connect the dots on all of that.
0: You know, those are are shocking. And I don't think anybody can deny. It. I mean, there's so much evidence showing all these things and that these are the plans that they have, and they're they're not even afraid to admit it openly now because they have so much power, and they've figured out that, you know, okay, Spreading, you know, spreading sickness works and food shortages works. So we'll keep doing that. And as Ray said, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. A theory is an idea to justify a course of action. The action is already happening. So the theory part is really irrelevant. They have a plan. They have the power. And they have tested it with the mandates to see who would buck up against the system. And they're executing the rest of their plan now. And they have a plan for how to deal with all of us who refused it. The good news is we will all be going home soon. The bad news is probably not in the ways that we would choose if we could. However, if you are killed for your faith, then you are a martyr. And that is the greatest level of reward in heaven to have died for your faith in Jesus. And I personally believe, based on the story of Stephen, the first martyr, that if we pray for the Lord to forgive our tormentors as Jesus did when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, Stephen basically prayed the same thing as he was being sown to death. I believe that he takes the pain of death from us. If you read Fox's book of Martyrs, it will encourage you because you will see that. And you can probably get that on audiobook too, for anyone who's busy. On the problem of so many believing for a political savior, I realize in times past, you know, that may have appeared to happen sometimes, but do you realize that that? Hope sets you up perfectly to accept the Antichrist when he appears on the scene. That is a perfect setup for that because you'll be looking for one. How will you be able to tell the Antichrist from just, you know, a charming politician if you have spent all your time on politics instead of the Word of God? Please hear me on this. Please, please hear me. I'd, I also wish that things could go back to nicer times and, and more normal times, but our God has determined this is the time when the end is going to come. I don't think any of us expected the end would happen in our lifetimes, but it had to happen in somebody's lifetime. So we just got to do the best we can with it. It, We're along for the ride for good or ill. And, you know, we will see some amazing things. We will see angels. There will be an increased activity of angels in this time. And the Lord will walk with us every step of the way. And then we get to go home, y'all. So it's not all bad unless you're in love with your life, in which case you will probably end up taking the mark and you won't be joining us because no, make no mistake, make no mistake. You cannot take the mark of the beast, even to feed your children and then repent and get out of an eternity in hell. The Lord just showed me that there will be those who Satan will deceive to take it by whispering, well, you know, it's God's will that you feed your kids. So, and you know, and he'll say, you'll be an exception. No, you will not. There are no exceptions to this. When you don't take the mark, you will have to watch your children starve to death, probably before you do. But here's the thing. I was shown last year that if you have minor children and you do not take the mark, they are going to take your children. And they're going to, well, sorry about your luck. You can't feed them. So we're taking them. We're going to you know, go re educate them and all that. When you take the mark, you change sides from the Lord to the devil's side. And that is a non-refundable ticket. Don't make any mistake about that. I know some people say, oh, you can repent. No, you cannot repent from this. This is a final answer kind of thing. Do not let anyone sell you a lie. Here's how we know. In Revelation chapter 13, we read about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. It says all that you read about one of the beasts. There's actually like three different beasts. It says all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will take it. Of course they will. They want to eat. They want to buy fuel for their cars, etc. And without Jesus, they have no reason not to take it. But look what happens to them in Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse eight. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, I never considered this before, but verse eight says Babylon is fallen. There are many who believe that America is spiritual Babylon. If that is, in fact, true, then the mark may come out right after America folds economically, which we see the signs they're trying to orchestrate now, or when it is invaded by China and Russia, which invasion has been prophesied for over 100 years. Before I began receiving prophecies, I studied other prophecies, and this one came up over and over and over. Various people in different ages got basically the same details on this invasion that's coming. Whenever you see a trend like that among prophecies, there's a much better chance it's going to happen. Revelation fourteen 9, I'm reading from the King James. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, who worship the beast and his image. I am pretty sure when that mark comes out, they're going to make you swear allegiance or worship the beast or his image. And then take the mark. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Notice it did not say unless you repent, then you'll be okay. No, it said whoever takes the mark, period. Is that all frightening to look at? You bet it is. It is for us, too. But if you go into denial, you will go into shock as this all shakes out worse and worse. And, you know, many people ask how to prepare. And I remember the Lord saying we would need to start grouping up in order to survive for any length of time at all in that time period. I don't know how practical that is, but what are your thoughts on that, Ray?
1: Well, you know, I actually, I think I told you about this, Glenda. I recently saw a video, and I'm not going to name names. You know, I don't do that. But this was a guy, he said he had a dream of the $50 bill being torn into three parts. Um, So on one side of his mouth, he's talking about the dream that he, it sounds like it came from the Lord, from what I'm discerning, but then turning around and saying, but, you know, guys, we just have to have faith. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. You know, America is going to be okay. We have to pray for our nation. And, you know, they might have a digital Mm -hmm. currency, but it's okay. And no, it's not okay. I mean, he
0: does not realize what you're, he, he doesn't realize when they digitize the currency, what you have to do to access your money after that.
1: Glenda, it was all like I'm, it, not, it, sure
0: I'm it, not sure there's I'm not sure there's going to be any warning when they do it. I think they're just going to roll it out in the middle of the night, and then it's going to go. By the way, you can't spend any of your money unless you take this.
1: This is the whole thing. Believers, those who truly believe prophecy, they must get over their denial. They need to get over their indifference and unbelief. I mean. Most of our audience knows the season, but for those who are in denial or disagreement, they need to take heed or pay attention. We should all be on the same page where Bible prophecy is concerned, especially Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, many refuse to face what's coming out of fear, but how many times did Jesus tell us not to fear? How many times are we told not to fear in the Bible? If you do a search and you type in the term, Bible do not fear, just type those words, Bible, do not fear, you will find it was mentioned at least 25 times, if not more. Isaiah 41.10 is a big one. It says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. If we don't learn how to trust that God has us firmly in the palm of his hand, and face these fears ahead of time, and learn how to hand them captive to the Lord when we pray, and we're unwilling to so much as talk about it amongst one another, what are we going to do when things get tough? Are we going to throw each other under the bus to save ourselves? You know, if we deny each other, are we going to deny Jesus too? Because that's exactly what Glinda was just talking about. They will make you take a pledge, an allegiance to the system. And there are many out there who are so scared they're going to panic and not know what to do. That's why we talk about it ahead of time. And, you know, I covered some of this in a podcast I did not long ago where I presented Standing Strong for Jesus in the face of persecution. I mean...
0: I've done some on persecution, too, and for the exact same reason.
1: Right. And, I mean, if we think about it, we either hang together or we hang separately. Think of when Peter denied Jesus. He did so because he was afraid of being put to death. Jesus didn't just predict Peter would deny him. He said his own people would be scattered. At the Last Supper, just as Jesus said Peter would deny him, he also said, and this is quoting Matthew 26, verse 31, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. What he was saying is that nobody would stand by him out of fear of the persecution. And that was demonstrated when Peter did exactly that he denied him. Now, if you cross-reference Matthew 26 verse 31, we see Matthew 11:6, and I use Bible Hub to do this, so you can do it yourself, you know, but Matthew 11:6 says, "And blessed is he who is not offended because of me." Essentially, blessed is he who doesn't fall away in what comes in the last days of persecution and the tribulations. There is a separation taking place right now of the wheat. From the chaff, the Lord is protecting those who serve him. Let's take a look at a few verses from the book of Job to illustrate the separation and scattering. Starting on Job, chapter 6, verse 15. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away. going to be many being portrayed by those they love. Even those who identify as believers because they didn't truly believe what the word says and it's going to happen or they were misled. And on that note, Psalm 41 verse nine says, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, you know, food being both in the physical and the bread faith, the word of God has turned against me. So see, it's written. It will happen. You know, Jesus said a man's enemies will be in his own household. See, this is why abiding in the Lord is key. You want his protection. You want his wisdom and what he's guiding you to do. There's going to be a lot of counterfeit Christians. I'm sad to say. I mean, that's those in unbelief. And these will pose a danger when they get desperate because they will not understand. Or they played until the last minute and they didn't know what to do. They didn't understand spiritually what's taking place. They didn't understand the season. So true. And this is what I meant when I asked. What are we going to do, throw each other under the bus? Because you're going to end up seeing that happening. And I don't know if that's, I I can't sit here and say, well, uh, you know, know, everybody's doing it. No, I'm sure it's, I know most of our audience knows, we've talked about this before and they know, but there's going to be new people who come along and they're not going to be sure what to do. Just remember, if you lead into captivity, you go into captivity. But going on to Job 19 verse 13, he has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. Now, why is that the case? Well, denial's a good reason. The acquaintances and supposed brothers were indifferent. If we accept the Lord, who He is and His prophecies, etc, we don't get the cookie cut what we don't like and sit in a corner and play make-believe. Glenda and I have both told you the old normal is not returning. It doesn't matter how much it's packaged to look good. It's not good. And that's exactly what they're going to do when they do release the mark. They're going to wait. You know, it, and that's what Glenda was talking about earlier when she said, you know, if you're clamoring for a political solution now, you'll clamor when, you know, the AC comes onto the scene, the antichrist.
0: Yeah. And it was actually the Lord who told me that normal was not coming back. I was like, Oh, that's a bummer. He,
1: he told me separately as well. And, um, you know, if you're clamoring for the, that, that normal, you're going to bl- buy any deception. And that's what they're going to do. That's the plan. They're going to make things get so bad that people will be willing to go for it. Yep. You know, Bible prophecy is unfolding. There are those who are going to believe biblical prophecy and those who say they do, but they don't choose to talk about it because it's unpleasant for them. You can be in denial all you want but that's not going to stop it from happening. It's not just going to go away. You know, let me just say, in any case, if there was a mess or a problem at any time, whether now or in your past, did you just pretend it didn't exist or did you acknowledge it and deal with it accordingly? My point is, ladies and gentlemen, we may as well be in agreement. We, and that is true believers in a true walk, are to work while it is still day as the day approaches no man can work. For the true believers, there are works to be done while we're still here, according to our gifts. And we're to fan into flames the gifts God gave us, and use those gifts to serve one another as Paul taught. You know, we're supposed to have the attitude of Christ in serving him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. You know, if we're in disagreement constantly, then we're missing the point. That's not loving one another, that's indifference. Not agreement or love, for that matter, as illustrated in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, which says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. You should be doing the same for those you care about. You know, further, Jesus said, John chapter 13, verse 35, Your love for one another will prove you are my disciples. You know, Jesus said a house divided can't stand, and neither can a nation divided. So why do we suppose the body can stand if we're indifferent to one another and not putting into practice by just even so much as being in agreement with one another? And so to sum it up, if we are to band together, we need to be among like-minded believers. And so if you don't have that, I would suggest you start asking the Lord to bring people into your life that he would rather you have instead of the wrong people, the wrong influences. Also pray that you be in the right place at the right time. Because when this gets real, which, I mean, it could any day now, who knows, those who were in denial or had normalcy bias will cling to you to carry them because they won't have the faith. And it's going to be hard enough on any of us to stand strong, Never mind carrying the ones without oil in their lamps. No people buy their fruits, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's the least we can do before we get into everything else we're going to present today.
0: That is so true. Trying to carry other people who don't have any oil in their lamps is, I don't, I don't think it's even going to be possible in that time. They better get some oil I agree completely. Satan likes nothing better than when we're at each other's throats all the time. We're supposed to be one body.
1: We are. It's true. And as believers, we need to be setting good examples. If we're not, then we're divided and indifferent. Why are we so afraid to do what's right? What about speaking up for what's right? Is it because it's not popular? Because we're afraid of what someone might think? Is it cowardice or fear? Does the word not say that the cowardly shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, it does. And it's not just the cowardly or those sitting like bumps on a log to see what's going to happen. That's lukewarm. That's being on the fence. Staying in the never-never-land mentality isn't going to help change or affect the situation where it comes to enduring. These prophecies will happen, and if you think not, I'm sorry to say, but the reality is, that's unbelief. You know. Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death.
0: I just want to make a quick comment on that. You know, that puts liars and people who fornicate in the same category as murderers. And the cowards are in there with them and the unbelievers. That's pretty serious, don't you think?
1: Yes. Think about that second death. Think about that for a moment. That means you not only will die physically a horrific death in the judgments, but you will be dead eternally because of your unbelief. And you'll be sent to hell for rebellion. That's what it means by fire and brimstone. That's the unbelief that the Lord won't do these things. To those who think the Lord's not appealing with his people to see it, you need to admit it, where we are, confess your wrongs, and get on his side. You had better believe these things are being allowed to happen as many nations have piled up their sins. What's happening is they're believing the lies of the evil one, even as it's obvious in what we just got done talking about. They are getting ready to bring the Antichrist onto the scene. And those of you living in foreign countries, by the way, you're not exempt. You know, everyone's being shown what time it is.
0: You know, years ago, I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was the early 90s. There was a series of movies called the Left Behind series that came out. And Kirk Cameron was in them. And there was, if I remember right, in the movie, a food shortage. And anyway, in one of the movies, the Antichrist shows up and he looks like the perfect political savior. He negotiates the peace treaty with Israel. He acts compassionate. And then suddenly all that turns off like a faucet and he like starts shooting people dead. The war breaks out. It's ugly, but it plays along with I won't say it's perfect with the Bible narrative because I didn't confirm it. I didn't sit there with it and see if it was. But Those are some good movies and very interesting to watch. If you want to see some of the ways these things could play out because you need to know. And, you know, speaking of getting away from sin. I remember several, I think it was several years ago. My memory is not real good for dates anymore. The Lord said the enemy was trying to bring old sins back into people's lives. And whenever Satan is trying to do this, oftentimes people from your past will reappear, usually out of the blue for no reason. And they'll ring you up and they'll say, how are you doing? And you will be like, what are you doing calling me now? Be very suspicious if that happens to you.
1: That's happened to me a few times in the last few years, especially since I began the ministry. And these are people that I have not heard from, and they have not been interested in anything concerning me for years. These types, if they haven't already done so, will also use you, if they're near you. I've experienced that quite a few times in different ways throughout my whole life. And Glinda, I'm sure you have, as well as many of our listeners. And it's going to become more prevalent now. You know, and I actually spoke about part of this in part two of the arc series as it pertained to those who you may consider parting ways with for the same reason. And that's because, you know, of the indifference and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not taking things seriously. So what reason is there to hang around with those who are not walking right? I mean, it's the same as if somebody was to reach back into your life. If they were no good for you, there's a reason that God took them out of your life. And you have to consider that.
0: Yeah. What fellowship has light with darkness? Amen. So what should you do if a temptation from your past shows up or calls you on the phone? We're instructed to flee temptation in Ezekiel 1830. It says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord of the Lord God, saith the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions, So iniquity shall not be your ruin. In James 4, 7. We're told to submit to God and the devil will flee. Either way, you'll be safe. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll flee because he's not being successful. And the Lord says this is a word for somebody. If you keep returning to the temptation, you will eventually fall, sir. The devil is telling you that you can enjoy that little temptress and you're strong enough to tell her no, but you are not. And she's about to clear that last wall. Get out now or the consequences will be very grave for you. Remember, she has nothing to lose. You have everything to lose. And the Lord also said, your your sons will find out if you continue in that affair.
1: That's good advice. And that is a powerful word because, I mean, it comes down to being faithful to the Lord first and foremost. If we can't be faithful in small things or even earthly spouses for that matter, how can the Lord bless us in other ways? Amen. You know, let's take a look at Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible on this. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And he who is dishonest in a very little thing is also dishonest in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that earthly wealth, which belongs to another, whether God or man, and of which you are a trustee, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand devotedly by the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. That is, your earthly possessions or anything else you trust in and rely on instead of God. Because if you do, folks, think about it, that's an idol. You've made that an idol. You trust in the the idol more than you trust in the Lord.
0: Verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? So many people pray for God to bless them. Lord, make me rich. Lord, bless me with a promotion. Lord, bring me a spouse. Lord, this, Lord, that, when they are not even faithful with what they already have.
1: Right. And that includes those the Lord has already put in your life, such as friends or even your family members. People that you say you love, if you're not good to them, why should the Lord bring you a spouse or bring you a better friend or additional friends if you're not good to the ones you already have?
0: Clearly, you've not learned how to take care of the ones you have. If you want him to bless you, you better start acting right with the blessings he already gave you, no matter how large or small they are. God is not the blessing ATM where you drop in an abbreviated prayer and out drops whatever you ask for. Don't keep asking him to give to you until you start giving to him. I'm just saying. If you don't, you can expect at some point for him to shut down on you and stop blessing you until he gets your full attention.
1: Well, I think you make a good point there, Glenda. And we need to remember many times that our prayers don't get answered if we're not faithful in the small things or if our intentions are wrong. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's according to James 4.3. And I covered this when I did the Wisdom and Waiting podcast. I talked about the concern of having children in the last days, but the overall premise of that podcast was actually to illustrate praying into the Lord's will as the time is turbulent and that some unanswered prayer may actually be a blessing in disguise. I agree. You know, it's all about faith and it's all about mercy. And when we teach on these things, everyone needs to remember when Paul said, per 2 Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Jesus said, and this is quoting Matthew 9.13 for reference, Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Remember, What you do unto others, you are doing unto him. If you realize something is wrong, humble yourself, repent, work to do better, work to do right. Being a Christian is constantly about improvement, and that includes all of us. Because the Lord does see it, and he will reward you. Even if not right away, he will. And Glinda, I think you and I both can attest to that. You know, to do what's right is being merciful and that is the foundation of being faithful as mercy and righteousness is Jesus. Let me put it this way. You'd be faithful to your husband or wife, wouldn't you? Well, at least I mean I hope you would. Otherwise you're in adultery, but I digress. Just as the Lord gives us directions on spirit-guided relationships, so it is the same with him. And the Lord desires a faithful bride. Ephesians 1:4. Just as in his love He chose us in Christ, actually selected us for himself as his own before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy. That is, consecrated, set apart for him, purpose-driven, and blameless in his sight, in love. We are to be and remain the hands and feet of Jesus. That's living by his example. Jesus taught this in the parable of washing his disciples' feet. And that's referenced in John 13. Verses 1 through 17. And again, it is the golden rule of treating others as you would desire to be treated. And that's according to Matthew 7, verse 12. If we're missing the point of mercy, then we're not walking in his ways. And thus, how is he supposed to reward us with bigger responsibilities when we can't even keep the simple decrees? And what are some examples? The Lord does bless us. And when he does, he tests us to see if we will do as we should with what he's already given us. What is he given? Every breath you take. Every single thing you have. Every person you love. It all belongs to him. Forgiveness for the times we haven't done as we ought to have done. He could take any of that away at any time. He could take any of us at any time. So when a call is put out, you don't ignore it, because one day it may be your last chance to get it right. And you'll have to give an account for that. You know, I read from Job earlier, but looking at chapter 1, verse 21. He, he being the Lord, said naked, that is without possessions, I came into this world from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
0: Well said. One day it may be your last chance to get it right. Any of our last chances. We all need to remember that every day. You know, several years ago, the Lord taught me about a test I've never heard of before, the test of the blessing. And I was like, how can a blessing be a test? Sometimes the Lord looks down and he sees somebody who has never had very much and he wants to bless them. But first he has to test them to see if they can handle the blessing he wants to bring. So he starts moving on people's hearts to bless that person. I don't mean enough, but way more than enough. That recently happened to my friend Brenda. And it comes very suddenly and it just pours out on their lives and other blessings come too. But the most noticeable one is all the money that comes. Then the Lord just kind of sits back and watches to see, will they honor me in their tithes and offerings or will they rob me as so many others do? Will they obey my word and walk in my ways when they have plenty like they did when they did not have enough? Or will sudden wealth corrupt them? Will they become prideful and treat others with contempt? Will they bless others who have blessed them? Or will they forget all those who helped them when they were in need? Will they look for strangers in need? They do not know and bless them in my name and bring me glory. Or will they hoard the blessings I give them and bless only themselves? The answers to those questions tells the Lord whether you can handle that level of blessing all the time or not. Will they say that it's wealth they got by their own hand or from something they did? Or their way of doing something? Or will they give me the honor due my holy name? For it is I who give men the power to get wealth. That's what the Lord says. Deuteronomy 8.18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Will th- the wealth cause them to get into sin again as they did before they gave their lives to me? And from what I have seen, those who flunk the test of the blessing go immediately into a terrible wilderness. I hate those. And here's something else that came to mind for me on Wednesday. Somebody sent me a link about the big grocery stores going to what looks to be basically the mark of the beast. Immediately, fear tried to attack me. And and I thought, is this it? You know, this is it. Because, you know, we've said it before. It might have been on the judgments podcast we did that each of us needs to really contemplate what we know is coming and decide ahead of time which side of the fence we're going to be on. When it comes to taking the mark of the beast in exchange for your soul, or you will have no food, I am not trading my eternal soul and my rewards in heaven for a Big Mac, okay? I already made that decision, and I am committed to it. Nothing is worth my eternal soul and all the rewards I have stored up in heaven. I want to be with Jesus.
1: Well, Jesus said, and this is quoting John chapter 12, verse 26, that, Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And when you move on to verse 35, still in John 12, Jesus said, My light will shine for just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, then you will become children of light. And in following and serving Jesus, that is living like him, trusting him, being an example, like I was saying earlier, walking in the light while you still can. That includes, yes, blessing others. Again, doing right, being merciful. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Matthew 5, verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is the opposite of the scriptures? Well. Pride. If you don't know how to be merciful, do you expect to receive infinite mercy in return? You know, Jesus was humble. He didn't pridefully walk around when he saw someone who needed help. He was an example for all of us, and we are to be that for others. That is the salt. But if the salt loses its flavor, what good is it? If we conduct ourselves pridefully and don't know how to do good, then how can He use us in other ways? How can we then fan into flames the gifts he gives us to serve his body or his church? We all can make a difference, so what are some common ones we overlook? What are some examples of not doing right? Well, for starters, you know, ignoring those in need, ignoring the call to give, having mercy on those who simply just needed to be lifted up. You know, I quoted from Philippians 2 earlier, but going further, quoting Philippians 2 verses 4 through 5, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, Glenda, I've reached out to check-in with supposed fellow brothers and sisters before, just to see how they're doing, and they'll tell me how busy they are with this or that, and say be blessed and have a great day without even taking a moment to consider asking how I'm doing. That's sad. And of course I forgive them for the love is to forgive, but I mentioned this point because when you stop to think about it, that is being Christ-like. He loves us and forgives us. He doesn't treat us like an obligation because his love is genuine and it is forgiving, as we should be forgiving. But all he's asking us to do is to change our ways, to Realize when we're wrong and to right those wrongs. I mention this because anyone that says this type of behavior isn't going on, I can tell you based on my own experience yes, it is. It's very prevalent. So many don't even realize they do it. Never mind it being disconnected, it's just rude.
0: It's self centered.
1: It is. It's very self centered. Another thing we make excuses that we don't have time, which is a straight up lie. You do have time. You're just choosing what to do with it. The overall apathetic attitude that someone else can or will do it. Does the Lord say that to you when you pray to him? Does he say, I don't have time for you. I'm too busy dealing with other people's prayers. How would you feel if you were treated like an obligation? You wouldn't like that, would you? But this kind of stuff happens all the time among believers. Ladies and gentlemen, this type of behavior is unacceptable, and we need to do better. We can do better. We must do better. Referring to Philippians 2 once again, verse 21 says, All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. That verse read, What matters to Jesus is that we are caring and compassionate toward others. The mercy you extend will be the mercy you receive, and that is in regards to how you serve the Lord. Remember, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And here's the key point. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Separately, James, chapter 4, verse 17 says, and I've quoted this many times before, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, in these examples mentioned, how do you know the Lord isn't calling you? How do you know he isn't testing you? You might be, the one standing in the gap. You know, this business of many who say sorry repetitively and then make no effort to try to do better or simply saying you'll pray isn't good enough if you can affect a change, but then you don't do it. That's as good as calling a non-working telephone number that goes doo doo dee. we're sorry. The number you are calling is disconnected. It may as well be the same with those who say sorry, but are obtuse when it comes to connecting to others. They're disconnected.
0: True repentance is to change direction.
1: That's right. Not just say sorry. That's right. Another example. It would be like if I were taking a walk with my elderly neighbor and they lost their balance and fell down. And I said, oh, wow, look at the time. Gotta run. I'll pray someone is along shortly to help you get back up. Have a great day. Then they call me later and point it out and I give a sorry excuse. I mean, put yourself in that person's shoes. That would be pretty pathetic, wouldn't it? it would be, That'd the, be horrible. it would be the opposite of loving my neighbor wouldn't it i mean that may sound like a ridiculous example but that's exactly the type of apathy and foolishness i'm referring to glenda someone may make I it I think ob- it's
0: a great example
1: well someone might make it obvious that something's wrong and only a few hear it i mean let's call out the ridiculousness here for what it is again would you like it if that were done to you i highly doubt it i know i wouldn't You know, I'll give another brief example. One time, and this is, you know, a few years ago now, I took a family member to an endoscopy appointment, and I couldn't wait in the lobby due to the COVID restrictions, so I had to go wait in the car. And so, you know, I go to get a coffee, I'm sitting there reading the word on my phone, and I look up and saw this elderly woman who parked and uh, got out of her car and was looking at the sign. She was looking for the entrance to get into the building where the office was, and she appeared to be confused. But you could tell she was getting frustrated trying to find out how to get into the office. There was only one door, as, you know, all the other ones were cordoned off at the time, I'm sure. It was like that a lot of places. And there were others nearby, and everyone just, I don't know, they stared at her. And one couple parked behind me appeared to be laughing. You know, because I looked in the rearview mirror and the side mirrors, and I'm like, really? And I'm not honestly sure if they were laughing at her, but... It was just a strange coincidence because she happened to be standing there looking confused at the same time. And, you know, I thought, okay, this is ridiculous. And I waited for just a moment to see if anyone could help, but nobody did. And I got out of the car and I walked over to her and I said, ma'am, you know, what are you looking for? And it just so happens she was looking for the same building where I just dropped someone off just a moment ago. And I told her how to get to the entrance of the correct office. So, you see, that's just an example of even something so small that makes a big difference. But the majority, I'm sad to say, act like they can't be bothered. It just That's look an on.
0: attitude of entitlement and total self-centeredness, and it is so prevalent now.
1: Yes, and they just look on. And I mean, I didn't just sit there on my duff and say, oh, Lord, look at this poor confused woman. Oh, Lord, please bless her. I pray you send someone to help guide her to the entrance of the building. If I prayed that, can you imagine what his response would be to me?
0: i would not want to know what his response was to that because it would be bad god values the elderly for those of you who don't know this the people that help the elderly or take care of elderly relatives are rewarded very highly
1: that's right john 13 when jesus washed his disciples feet you know for i have given you an example that ye should do as i have done to you i mean seriously hands and feet of jesus guys hands and feet of jesus And, you know, I'm not mentioning that example so as to say, ooh, look at me and my good deeds. No, I'm presenting that as a true story, as an example, as a testimony to do what's right. This is an example of putting faith to work. It's having integrity, doing the right thing. That all ties into doing to others as you would have done unto you. And it's pertinent to every example we've mentioned up to this point, whether giving or whatever. If you act indifferent, When help is called upon, and that means you hear it or you see it, and you ignore it, you could be storing up punishment for yourself when you become that person who eventually ends up in the same boat needing help. And you will. Well, he recompenses according to what we do. The whole, well, someone else will do it mentality needs to stop, especially where it comes to those who are able and do nothing. You know, one day it could be you and... When you cry out to God, you may not receive his mercy if you didn't exercise it toward others yourself.
0: They Which, won't. They won't.
1: You know, that's just something to think about going forward, not something I would be testing the Lord on in the times we live. just saying. Amen. And we all make mistakes, Glenda, but, you know, we're supposed to learn from those mistakes. It's foolish to do the same thing over and over again and then expect different results every time we do the same thing over and over again. You know, quoting Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. You know, this is when the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah about false prophets, but this applies to all who belong to the Lord as well. Jeremiah, this is starting on verse 4, Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says, when people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? And you know, that's pretty self-explanatory based on what I just said. When we realize we did something wrong, Don't we try to turn around and do better? We should. But going on in verse 5, Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. You know, in other words, that is those who think they do no wrong and continue to do the same thing over and over and think it's okay. You know, Jerusalem, as it was in those days... May as well be America, modern day. Are we learning from our mistakes, humbling ourselves, and turning around when we do wrong? Or do we keep going the same direction, the wrong direction? Going on in verse 6 I listen to their conversations and don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say, What a terrible thing I have done? No. All are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle.
0: Amen.
1: Again, self-explanatory here. No sorrow for bad treatment. No sorrow for the wrongs done to others or the apathy. No remorse from others' sins. They lie to themselves or don't know because reality is never put into the proper context and morals aren't talked about enough. The Lord is referring to those who continue to stay on the destructive, slippery path. That's what he means by galloping into the battle. Because if you know something's wrong, and you keep doing it, that is heading down that path of destruction. And it's a spiritual destruction. And soon, it's going to be physical as recompense is concerned. Going on in verse 7, even the stork that flies across the sky knows the time of her migration, as do the turtle dove, the swallow, and the crane. They all return at the proper time of year, but not my people. They do not know the Lord's laws. You know, the Lord used the parables of the stork, crane, and turtle dove. These are animals that know migration times. And so as that translates to us, it is those who know what they ought to do, but they're not doing it. They don't do it because they don't put time and effort into learning the Lord's decrees and putting them into practice. 1 Timothy 4.8 says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Remember, we are to be doers, not just hearers, and that is according to James 1 verse 22. Further, if you go look at James chapter 2, specifically verses 14 through 26, we are shown that faith without works is dead. We can quote another chapter, Romans chapter 2. Verses 13 through 16 say, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God, it is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles, who do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. It lives within them, in other words. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. That means... If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you should know if something's wrong and turn around and repent and do better, especially when it comes to treating others the right way. Verse 16, And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You know, I mention these verses because we have been witness to the examples I just got done referencing. There seems to be some forgetfulness at times, or some not realizing bad habits. So when I previously said we need to consider our ways, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's the element of repentance, humbling ourselves before the Lord, realizing and confessing where we messed up and putting forth that effort to change, to live in his ways. We do, after all, seek his mercy in the time upon us, which undeniably is at the door, or soon to be for many.
0: That is so true. We do need to repent daily. And many do have bad habits, but many know, too, that they're outright sinning. I'm far more concerned about those who know they're sinning and think that there's plenty of time. That's one of the devil's favorite tools. Oh, there's plenty of time. You don't have to stop now. You don't have to repent yet. Or just refusing to give up their sin. Many in the church are shacking up or living in open sin. It's shameful. Psalm one hundred seven seventeen 17 says fools because of their transgression transgression is breaking the laws. It's sinning going against what God says and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Also, I don't think a lot of people realize that you can get led into the wilderness for refining for a number of different things. Pride is one of the big ones. I got my first ticket into the wilderness for pride. I have done shows on on how to know if you're prideful boasting Contentiousness, which is arguing and fighting all the time, being stuck up, that sort of thing. Those are big signs of pride. There are also a lot of others. Impatience is a sign of pride. Also for having a terrible attitude towards everything or for not treating people well. The Lord has no problem at all leading you into a wilderness season if you're going to go around treating people ugly. And if you don't believe me, try Him. He will show you. God cares how we treat each other, but He also cares how we treat people who are still in the world. So not just Christians, but all people. And he just showed me that is a word for somebody. There's somebody listening to this podcast that you are acquainted with some people who are still worldly or in the world. And you're being really bad to them. The Lord is saying the word scorn. You are scorning them. To scorn, according to the Oxford Language Dictionary, means that you have the feeling or belief that someone or something is worthless or despicable. It's contempt. The Lord says to you, prideful scorner, beware. You are setting a trap for yourself, for you are sowing seeds of mischief, and God is never mocked. Galatians 6-7, never. You are going to reap just what you sowed. God is very displeased. Remember what scripture says in Proverbs 16-18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. A haughty spirit is that prideful spirit. That word fall in that verse means a fall, calamity, which is a disaster, or ruin. God's word never returns void. It always comes true. So just know if you do not repent immediately and stop doing those sins, you are headed for ruin.
1: Amen. It's true. And by the way, you might recall, Glenda, I talked about that in the refining episode I did not long ago. And I said even then that we needed to consider our ways because the Lord has no problem placing you with difficult people to show you a thing or two.
0: That is the truth. He will put you with people that are what we call sandpaper to get the rough edges <laughs> off of you. In a situation where you have to submit.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I, I went through that in my wilderness too. I had an element of pride. He had to work out. There's so many wrong attitudes and so much of it is unnecessary. You know, when we look at Proverbs chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, We read, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. They're lying to themselves because they're prideful. They don't even see it. Verse 9, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Verse 10, the heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy.
0: Yes. You know, I've been studying the story of Samson lately. I've been thinking I might do another podcast on the story of Samson and Delilah. I've done some before. It is one of the most revelatory stories in the Bible, in my opinion. Every time I read it, I feel like I find something new. So I was reading it on Tuesday, and I realized Judges 1620 is so relevant for right now. It can be talking about today. But of course, that's the way the Bible is. It's just as relevant today as the day it was written for those who study it and understand what they read. Let me read that verse and the one after it. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Samson had gone into Delilah as became his habit. Most people think Samson went into her for sex, but what he really went into her for was rest. Never go to sleep in the enemy's camp. That is a death sentence. Samson had returned to his sin again and again and again with Delilah while he continued to sin instead of paying attention to what was going on around him. And instead of doing what the Lord called him to do, which was begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines, not go up there and sleep with them. The Lord's presence left him. Anytime you continue to sin and fellowship with the world, you will find it very difficult to enter into the Lord's presence. Because Samson was so taken in his attraction to Delilah, he did not even notice the Lord left him. Samson was in idolatry. He was not supposed to be there with her doing what he was doing. At one time, God was his God. Now Delilah and that pleasure had become his God. And the Lord just said, that is a word for somebody. The Lord said, you, sir, have found a Delilah of your own. And you have been going into her and just enjoying yourself. You have a good wife at home who don't know yet what is going on and you feel like you're balancing the two women and keeping them away from each other pretty well. The Lord wants you to know, sir, that he is not pleased. And he says this, how dare you treat my daughter in that way? He is talking about your wife. She is a woman of God. How dare you treat the covenant you made with her so frivolously? You have taken your fill of pleasure again and again. You have fantasized about those encounters when you are away from her. You have ignored your wife because everything in you is going to the other woman who you prefer physically as your wife has lost her youthfulness and her fine figure bearing your children. Sir, the Lord says to you, you have taken your fill of pleasure with a woman I did not choose for you. You have broken the covenant made in my name with the wife of your youth. You have played the fool with your harlot and now she will make a fool out of you. She will bring out and make known what has transpired between the two of you, and it will cost you all you have sacrificed to build. Proverbs six twenty six. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Verse 27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Verse 28, Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Verse 29, so he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent.
1: Very important verses. And you know, it's not even just the men, the women do it too. If you fast forward into the book of Proverbs to chapter 30, verse 20 says, an adulterous woman consumes a man, then wipes her mouth and says, what's wrong with that? And that's- The
0: adultery rate for, for married women now is, I think, about where it is with men or close.
1: Right. And that's quoting the New Living Translation, but if you look at the King James Version of Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20 says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth, and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness. So what does that point out? Well, it's denial, for one. Thou shalt not lie. And it's the P word again. Pride. Thinking there's nothing wrong with it. The point is, many are in sin... Being shacked up or having extramarital affairs and don't understand what it's doing to them spiritually or see nothing wrong with it. You know, Exodus 20, verse 14 says it's one of God's commandments, which says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? It is defined as voluntary intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's current spouse. And by the way, you don't need to be married to be committing adultery. If you're unmarried and sleeping around, that's the same. That in itself is being unfaithful to the Lord. So think about that for a moment. You are cheating on him. And additionally, it's immoral. We're not supposed to be immoral. And what is immoral? Essentially lust and perversion. And that falls into adultery. Same-sex relationships are a good example of immoral just as well. Immorality includes looking at any of the above I just mentioned on the internet too, by the way. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, reading from the Amplified Bible, run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as gift from God, and that you are not your own property? You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. The Lord is calling many to repentance. He has been for some time now. As someone who a long time ago dabbled in the nightlife, let me just tell you, it does a lot of damage to you, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So though someone might think it's all good and seems innocent, no, it's not. And I can testify to that by my own experiences. But you know what? The Lord redeemed me. He cleansed me. He forgave me. You too can be redeemed. And you can be forgiven. And you can repent from it. And it starts off by stopping it. Isaiah 52, verse 11 says, Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And when it says go out from the midst of her, that means you know, the sins of, you know, spiritual Babylon. In other words, if you seek the Lord and you seek to follow after him, you must pick up your cross and follow him, denying yourself, learning to build a relationship with him and live for him. Jesus is your spouse. We are his bride. We are called to be faithful. You know, I quoted from 1 Corinthians 6 earlier, but verse 11 specifically says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God.
0: You know, the Lord also rescued me out of a lot of immorality, right? And he cleansed me as well. Praise God. And I can testify there is not a happier or a more peaceful life than living for him.
1: Amen. It's true. And that's what I was referring to earlier when I quoted those handful of verses from Jeremiah 8 about turning around when you realize you're on the path of destruction. You know, those words written by Paul would not be in the Holy Word if it were impossible to turn from the wrong lifestyle and sin.
0: Who well said.
1: I did it. You did it. It can be done. And many others have as well. You know, in other words, if you're a Christian, a true believer, realize what's wrong, repent and start living the Word.
0: I want to say that if you are in sin, I know that it feels like you cannot stop under your own power. But he helps you stop because it's his will that you do it. And anything that's God's will, he will help you with. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to do what's right. I need you to help me with this right here. And he will help you.
1: Right, Glinda. And when the Lord tells us ahead of time what's coming, that is his mercy for the sake of those he wants to live right, those who are lost. And he's doing it to get those who belong to him back on track. He wants to redeem them. You know, don't harden your heart. Don't mock his mercy. When we take a look at the book of Acts, specifically chapter 13, we read in verse 40 through 42, Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. That's what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast about the unbelief. What that should translate to everyone is if they continue to live in their sin and defy the Lord's decrees, they too will be caught up with the mockers and the scoffers. They'll die in their sins. Remember that sin is death, and if it is your will to stay in that sin rather than to seek the will of Jesus, then you're going to eventually be given over to that sin.
0: That is the truth.
1: That's not, you know, yeah, I mean, that's not what you want to be doing and what's coming. You know, when the Lord was speaking to his prophet, you know, referencing Jeremiah, and this time Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22, my people are foolish and do not know me, says the Lord. They are stupid children who have no understanding. They are clever enough at doing wrong, but they have no idea how to do right. Again, like Acts chapter 13, verse 40 says, you don't want the prophet's words to apply to you. You don't want to be part of those judgments. In anything we have presented, and in this time, as it's crucially important now, you need to take those steps to get right with the Lord now, not later. Why would you reject forgiveness as it's being offered? That's a ticket to heaven. Remember, his mercy is in the correction. We're running out of time. You don't wait until the last minute. We're in a season now when we don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen or transpire. He's shown us things and told us, yes. His word tells us, but nobody knows the dates. It's a time for humbling. It's a time to choose who we serve and be conscious about how we live and doing what's right.
0: A time to choose who we will serve and be conscious about how we live. You know, the Lord has told us repeatedly. That there's coming a night when many souls will be turned into hell. And some kind of attack is coming and it's apparently going to come at night, probably when we're asleep. You don't want to wait too late because once the judgment's happening, it's too late for you to say, oh, by the way, Lord, I changed my mind. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. No, you got to get right before that happens. There is a day coming when it will all go down and there will be no retakes. No do-overs and no second chances. Wherever you're at in your walk at that moment will determine your destiny forever. And that's really scary because there are so many people now who are just refusing to come out of their sin. Refusing to come out of the world. Refusing to pay attention to what's going on around them, just like Samson. Refusing to treat others the way the Lord says to treat them. Refusing to do right. Prideful. Arrogant. Immoral. And what's going to happen to them is the same as what happened to Samson. Their refusal to look now will eventually lead them to blindness when they most need to see. And their sin puts a giant wall up between them and the Lord, and they will not be able to enter into his presence when they most need to. When they most need to hear from him for guidance about what to do when all this starts happening. When World War III is raging outside your door, when you have no job, no food to eat, when you cannot afford medical care or the medicine you need, when your loved ones are gone and you have no one to love you or look out for you. When you most need to be able to go to him and say, Lord, I need help. There's no food for me and my family. Will you please feed us? You're not going to know him well enough to do that if you don't turn now. You will hear no answer because you erected a huge wall between you and him with your sin. You refuse to hear him now, and he will refuse to answer you then. The Bible says the Lord will not have pity on those who continue to play in the world and live in sin, that he will laugh at their calamity. Proverbs one twenty three: turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. 24, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. 25, but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. 27, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. 28, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know, when you don't fear him, you'll sin. But when you learn who he is and you see how big and powerful he is, you're happy to lay down the sin because you're too scared not to. And you should be. 30. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. 31. Therefore, shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices? God will give you over to your sin and you will reap the fruits of it without stopping. You may think that you're your own God now, but in what's coming, you won't be anything but terrified of your own shadow. We've seen some of it. We're not making this up. We have no reason to. Nobody will be brave in that time. The Bible says men's hearts will melt from fear. Men's hearts failing them for fear. This is Luke 21, 26. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And for you young people laughing about this right now and making fun of it that I'm seeing in my spirit, just know you will be the most scared of all. God sees you mocking and he has reserved special judgments for you, just so you know.
1: Well, they won't be laughing when the phones don't work and they can't get on TikTok and the power's out and foreign troops come in and are killing or rounding people up, taking them into captivity.
0: And all the people who take care of them are either dead or imprisoned. Yep. And Samson kept going to the enemy for comfort, too, for rest from the stress in his life. And it cost him everything in the end, his freedom, his vision, and his destiny. And it will cost us that, too, if we don't stop sinning.
1: You know, Glenda, it's important also to mention that in all we see right now, the Lord is removing comforts. He's removing idols. Why? Well, because it's obvious. He's getting his people attention. He's showing us what time it is. And it's amazing to me how many I see still holding out hope. For, you know, the elections like you were talking about at the beginning of the show, even as everything continues to spiral downward and the Lord is showing his people the hypocrisy. This is why he is calling for a humbling and repentance. The idols are one example of the misplaced faith and priorities. And we need to get our priorities right.
0: Amen. He's trying to get his children to turn away from their idols before it is too late. There will be no political savior, y'all. What there will be at some point is an antichrist straight from hell who looks like a political savior. And if you're believing for that, you will fall for his schemes and become one of his cheerleaders, and he will drag you to hell with him.
1: Yes, and the Lord is showing his people what needs work in their lives, the sin. You know, people love to use the excuse that we all sin, and that is true. But if you're made aware of something specific, and scripture is presented to you, and you willfully ignore it, or think you do no wrong, well, then you're already in sin. You know, again, the word is to correct wrong ways of thinking. Pride, idolatry, or in some cases, like we just discussed a moment ago, adultery, the sexual sin. Those are big ones.
0: Yes. And the Lord would much rather we check ourselves and him not have to do that for us.
1: Amen. He is still on the throne, and he wants his people to turn from their indifference. You know, that should be perfectly clear now where things are at. We talked about some of those in the beginning of the podcast. It's not a game. And we're going to be tried on our faith, all of us. That is our faithfulness to him. We have to build faith on the small things before we have faith in bigger things. And we build it by being doers and believing the Lord's promises. But it also means having a healthy fear of him and believing that he will do, as he says, if we are not obedient.
0: That is true. And you know, the Bible says, be not hearers only, but be doers. Don't just hear the word. Don't just read it. Obey it. And I've talked about this numerous times before, Ray, but especially when I teach on receiving healing, you don't wait until you have cancer to try to learn to receive. Learn when you have a headache, and then the cancer diagnosis is not as scary. I had worked on my faith in healing many times before I had the stroke in 2012. So after the stroke, when the neurologist said, it's going to take you, I can't remember how long he said now, but so-and-so number of months or whatever to regain all your function in the left side of your body that was paralyzed when I had the stroke. And I said, with all due respect, sir, I'm a child of God and it will not take me that long. My sister witnessed that conversation. She kind of stood there and just smiled because she knows me and she's also a Christian. And she had seen me stand on faith for things before and saw them manifest even when she was saying, there is no way that's going to happen. And I said, well, it don't cost anything to believe. Let's just believe for it anyway. We serve a big God. And then it did happen. But at the time, the neurologist looked at me like I was stupid, but that's okay. By 2012, I was already used to people looking at me like I was stupid. So that's all right. It did not take me as long as he said to recover, and I knew it wouldn't. What Ray is saying, and what I am saying is, please don't wait until the last minute to start believing God, because if you do that, you will not have anywhere near enough faith to survive any of what is coming without taking the mark. And then you won't need faith and you will not have any help or comfort in it because you won't have Jesus walking by your side. If you will turn to him now and commit everything to him, you will. And it won't be as scary. I mean, none of us want to see all this stuff happen. okay? but years ago at a doctor visit, doctor visit that I went to. My doctor found a mass and biopsied it right there. I did not have enough faith for healing. then, so I praise God it was benign. Because my mom had had uterine cancer back in the early 90s, and they were able to remove it all, but she also had great faith. And I didn't have that yet when this happened to me. She witnessed to every person at MD Anderson Hospital that she came into contact with, and then she laughed that it was making the devil unhappy that she did did all that while she was going through cancer surgery. So many are not where they need to be. Please don't listen to this podcast and think it's for somebody else, not you. That's pride saying that if you're hearing that. Oh, that's not for me. I've got everything together. No, if you're saying that you have pride and you better work on the pride or God will take you into the wilderness. We all need to check ourselves every day. I check myself multiple times a day. We need to check our lives for sin. We need to check our hearts for bad attitudes and wrong thoughts about people, even people who have hurt us, especially people who have hurt us. The Bible don't say forget those who have not hurt you very bad. It says forgive or you won't be forgiven. And if you are not forgiven of your sins, you can't get into heaven. There's only one other place you can go if you can't get into heaven, okay? We need to look at how we treat people and how we see God. Are we really giving him everything we can? Does he really have your whole heart? Really? Does he really? Many people say God has their heart, but they won't give him their checkbook. If he don't have your checkbook, he does not have your heart. Please hear me on this. Tithing and offering is not a money issue. It is a faith issue. It is an obedience issue. The tithe is the first 10% because that actually already belongs to him. So if you keep it, you're robbing him. The word tithe means a tenth and only 90% of what you receive is actually yours. Offerings are a gratitude offering over and above that. I'm so grateful to God that I saw my mother tithe faithfully for years. So when I got saved, at least I knew I was supposed to do that. And I started tithing. The real test came. When the oil and gas market crashed, and I had to choose whether to tithe on my unemployment check, which was already only half enough to pay my bills. That's a big choice. I did tithe, by the way. And that's a choice many are about to face. The Lord sent me to Dallas right about that time, right about the same time oil and gas crashed. I did not know that it had crashed, and I thought Dallas and Vista and my dad were a pit stop on my way to my next job. That was not what happened. And my thinking was tithing brings God's blessing onto the rest of the money. No tithe equals no blessing. You could not pay me not to tithe. You could not then either. It was my only hope. And you know what? God did a financial miracle for me every single month because I trusted him and I stood on his word. I quoted Malachi. I think it's Malachi 3.9 that says he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out of blessings it will be so big you can't contain it all. By the way, I've seen that blessing before. God honors and blesses according to his word. If you do not tithe, you are not giving him anything to honor and bless you on. So you can say he has your heart till the cows come home. But if you jealously guard your money, He don't have your heart. He has a little of your heart and the God of Mammon has the rest. And that means you will have to depend on the God of Mammon to take care of you and what is coming. Please hear me on this. I'm trying to help you before it is too late. All we can do is put out these teachings. I'm not saying tithe to me. Ray's not saying tithe to him. You tithe wherever you're getting your spiritual food. Wherever you're being taught, that's where you put your tithe. We are trying to help you so you're not without in that time. All we can do is put out these teachings. You would be shocked if you knew how many conversations we have every week where we talk about y'all and y'all being ready and for what's coming. You know, the other stuff that we've seen about, okay, we've seen this is coming and so and so saying that. You would be flabbergasted because. You don't understand how much we care. We could have done a podcast about something else this week, anything else. And all the weeks that we've talked about this stuff, we could have done podcasts on something else, right? It would have been a lot easier. We care whether you are terrified and running scared, then we care whether you have enough faith. But it's up to you to listen and put into practice what we're telling you. If Lord tells us what to say. You decide if you will listen.
1: Amen. And, you know, to say it again in closing, Glinda, if we're not going to be faithful in the small things now, will we be faithful to the Lord when we're faced with tough or scary situations coming, such as the persecution and the war? And so this is a very real question because those are upon us. And so we need to be considering now while there is limited time, not later on when it's too late and the storm's right at our doorstep. In some cases,
0: Amen. Amen. So much better to make yourself look at it now while there is at least some time to do something about it than to wait until later when there is none and when God's presence may have departed from you like it did Samson. And you won't know what to do and you'll have no guidance. You will still have to face it. The question is whether you do it now or do it then. It's not going away.
1: Well, you know, to humble oneself, Glinda quoted Proverbs 16, verse 18 earlier, a haughty spirit comes before a fall. One thing is for sure, we're all being tested, especially now. And Glenda, I think you even got a word on that once or a few times about the testing.
0: Yeah, recently, test, test and more tests or something like that.
1: I've had, yeah, and I've had to endure many patience tests over the last year. I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm being tested on patience all the time. (laughs) But we have we have to remember these words from James chapter one, verses twelve through eighteen. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And that means being consistent and doers of the word. You know, your works by faith. Verse 13, and remember. When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And one more, which is key in the season we now find ourselves, because as things get worse, as we know them in the earth, we have to resist the temptations to do wrong. Remember. It's all about being faithful and enduring. Just like Linda read earlier from James chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to repeat it again. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Keep your focus on the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If our thoughts are fixed on Jesus, if we're focused on him, not only will he keep us in perfect peace, but if our thoughts are focused on him and his ways, on his teachings, and if we study his words and put them into practice as we have covered the do's and don'ts here today, it will make those tests all the more easier to pass. Remember, he is always with us, good times or bad. And if you feel forsaken, it is likely because you have forsaken him first. Not the opposite way around. Glinda, did you have any closing thoughts today?
0: Yeah, what you just said about Proverbs 16, 18, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. When you walk in a haughty attitude and you are real prideful all the time, God will always set you up to fall so that you can be humbled. If you don't want to humble yourself, the alternative is he will do the humbling for you. And I can tell you from experience, it is not nearly as pleasant when he does it. So I just want to say that. But what you just said, Ray, about not doing wrong cannot be overemphasized. The temptations are going to be great. Satan will make sure of that. There will be no comforts in that time. And as humans, we seek comfort. So that will make it even harder to resist temptation. And we have to learn to get our comfort from the Lord. And we have to learn that now because you're not going to be able to learn it then. Probably going to be on the run. To just, We need to learn to just sit with him and praise and worship him until his presence comes. And what you said about keeping your mind stayed on Jesus, you cannot do that if you're in sin, okay?
1: Well, there's the element of guilt if you know you're doing wrong. But excellent points, Glenda, good advice. Glenda, thank you for being on the show today. It's always good to get your perspectives and teachings on everything we are contending with while we run the race of endurance.
0: It's always a pleasure guesting on Innocence Redeemed Ray. Thank you for inviting me.
1: You're quite welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our show for this week. Remember in the words of Paul, and quoting 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. May Jesus bless you all, guys. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care of yourselves out there.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address JPH Inc. Glenda Lomax P.O. Box 60 Glencoe, Arkansas 72539 or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization church or denomination.
3: Does your life feel like it's falling apart around you? Are multiple things going wrong all at once? Does it seem all your comforts have been stripped away? You may have entered the wilderness. Wilderness experiences are oftentimes of great discomfort and lack. Every Christian must pass through the desert on the way to their promised land. Find out how to go from surviving to thriving by partnering with God as He leads you in the path that will strengthen your faith and prepare you to step into your destiny. The Wilderness Companion will help you find out why you have been led into the wilderness. Find out the biggest hindrances to receiving the provision you need in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Learn how to partner with God in His purposes for you in the desert seasons. Get your copy of The Wilderness Companion today. The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, or audiobook.
0: What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mine, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation, is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mine today. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will, at some point, encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas costs you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook. The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com.
1: Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21-32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bond servant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings? Why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap?